when I was in my early 20s and I played high-level sports with guys who were getting close to the retirement age, so, you know, getting into the mid-30s, even late-30s, and I would see them getting banged up a little bit, a little bit more than I ever would. I would see see them take a long time to return from, from small injuries that, that would take me, you know, three to five days to bounce back from, uh, not be able to perform in the gym and in training sessions. And I looked at those guys and I thought, I'll never be that guy <laughs> back when when I had this sense of invincibility. And there's no sense in denying it any longer. I am that guy. <laughs> I am the guy who gets hurt way more often than I used to. I'm the guy that takes three months to recover from something that used to take me a week or two to bounce back from. And that sort of theme is what today's episode of the Hybrid Fitness Embedded Podcast is all about. Once you start getting to that age where you can no longer deny that, they, that you are not a superhero anymore, how do you adjust your training when you're not trying to ego lift in the gym? And it's not about how much weight you can throw around, but it's more about when I'm done my session, how long does it take me to be able to exercise again? And when your goals change from just pure performance to longevity and a body that works the way you need it to work. This is what uh, me and Dion talk about in this episode. And if you be forewarned, the first six minutes of this episode, we're just talking about random stuff, uh, talking a lot about jujitsu. And if that's something you're not interested in, just skip to the six minute mark. And that's where the actual content of the podcast starts. So thank you for listening. Uh, <laughs> you also lose your ability to speak properly as you get older. Thank you for listening in to this week's episode of the Hybrid Fitness Embedded Podcast and enjoy. Weeks go by fast here. That's how it goes. They say that uh, the speed, the, the perceived speed of your life has to do with the amount of routine stuff you do every day. So the more routine you are, the faster time appears to go by. Really? Yeah, the more you throw things into your day that are irregular mm -hmm. and have new experiences, the slower your life seems to go. Is that right? So they say. I don't know. Did you read this in a Makes book? Makes sense. I did read this in a book. Uh, I can't remember what book it was now, but it was pretty recent in the past couple of months. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's got me thinking now. Because if you do the same thing every day, <clears throat> it's somewhat mindless, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you don't build new memories because it's if, if your brain recognizes that you're doing the same things, mm -hmm. it doesn't see it as important to put those things into memory, right? There's no breaks just, in action. Just the kinda... things you don't really have to think about when you're doing them. Mm -hmm. That's why they say like, if you're in the aging population and you're concerned about brain health, you should start doing things with your non-dominant hand mm. that you're used to doing with your dominant hand to sort of, you know, create new synaptic connections. Introduce uh, Like start using your phone with your left hand. Really? Right? Start using your mouse with your left hand. And that refreshes those connections mm. in the brain or build, I know that. builds new connections. Yeah. Is that why time seems to be slower when you're a child? Because you're always forming new experience. You're always, everything is new. Everything's Maybe. novel. Maybe. To get to a certain point, and 
I couldn't tell you an answer that Can't I was <laughs> that I was confident in, but it does seem like when you're younger, time goes by slower. Yeah. And as you get older, time picks up. But as you get older, you do a lot of the same lot stuff, routine. less new experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So it's plausible. Yeah. But oh, cool. uh, but that's just something that I read, whether it's true or not. I mean, you might want to cross-reference that information. <laughs> Make sure you hop on Twitter and beef him on that point <laughs> yeah yeah good good fuel for my uh for my antagonist um forgot how how much jujitsu um i took three weeks off and rolling on wednesday i forget how that feels you go for like you know every other day and you train you don't generally feel very sore right like i mean you get a couple knocks here and there but it's like that isometric like that tension that you're holding for for a while that the next day he springs i'm feeling a little in my neck you had me in a guillotine and uh he held on for a long time i remember like i just look up and i see matt matt sitting there like leaning up against the wall and i just remember thinking i'm gonna feel this tomorrow do i do i just tap it or I fight through i wanted to fight through it and it was like a two-minute battle but i was like looking over to my left is easy looking over my right is i got about 15 degrees of range here but yeah there's lots of that. times where i should just tap for my own Longevity. well-being and longevity yeah. yeah and i don't because i know i don't have to but yeah. i know that i should yeah. <laughs> like uh, the uh, the person's not going to put me to sleep but yeah. it's not good what's happening to my neck yeah but, you know ego gets in the way certain things <laughs> i i tap to quicker than like for example if you got like a rear naked choke on i'm not in any danger of being damaged really i'm mean, getting choked on put to sleep but if you got like an arm or a shoulder i'm going quick on that even arm and shoulder i i can resist it pretty yeah. well um anything like heel hooks anything with my knee i'll just if, it, if i know the person has an opportunity to yeah. actually sink it i'll just tap just because well. like those are the things where that can be six months yeah if, if you know if you're if either of you isn't smart about it like i can't you can't trust people yeah. with that yeah right if they yeah. roll the wrong way if like it's just I, when it comes to that, it's so sensitive. I think there's less room for error. Definitely. So I don't a lot less around. pressure, yeah. yeah. Like a child. I was thinking, thinking like a child would be able to, if it had a properly sunken heel hook, probably be able to do some damage. <laughs> yeah, like if yeah. someone has a heel hook, I'm not going to try and pull my leg out. No. Try ever. And I'll, I'll try and push it through. Mm-hmm. I won't try and roll with it. Anyways, yeah, it's people tough. listening are probably not interested in, in this. <laughs> Go right into YouTube. Like, some what are hook. you talking about? Um, but it, it kind of lends to what I want to talk about a little bit about um, this overall theme of kind of training for longevity. Um, I thought we'd maybe start off by telling the the, the listeners about your own uh, training journey, kind of like what that's evolved into and why, and um, kind of looking ahead, what are things that you prioritize in your own training, um, and, and what you know what is your your why when it comes to training at this stage yeah so now i'm i'm like these days i'm all about longevity mm-hmm. trying to get as much as i can to increase my performance with as little risk as possible whereas you know even five six years ago mm-hmm. i didn't think about consequence even if things that i was doing clearly caused me problems that i was very aware of yeah I wanted to squat more. I wanted to lift more. I wanted to snatch more. I wanted to do all these things. And that sort of took precedent where now I'm understanding 
if I, you know, what are my priorities? And if my priorities are, I want to be able to perform mm -hmm. and I want to be able to perform every day, mm -hmm. then there's certain things I'm just, I'm not doing anymore. Yeah. So before I get too, too deep into this, it's important to say that I think everything that I've done up until this point has been helpful in some way. I wouldn't say there's anything I've done that people just flat out shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, I'm not, I'll never do a max back squat ever again. Mm -hmm. I'll never do a max deadlift ever again. Like these are exercises. I'm just, the consequence is too high. Yeah. You know, and for me in particular, I can only speak for myself yeah. um, and, and my own experiences. But there were many years when those were things I did on a monthly basis. And I'm sure they've done good things for my body as far as strength, bone density, things like yeah. that. So it's not like you, you know, if those are things that you enjoy doing and you find that there's a place uh, in your routine for them, then by all means do them. I'm just at a point now in my life where I can grow in so many other places with such less consequence. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the ego where like, I need to squat 500 pounds, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not important to me anymore. Mm -hmm. So when I first, like if we wanna go through the whole evolution, um, I first started working out mostly with my dad. So my dad was a police officer and the police station had its own like gym. They had heavy bags. They had like a little fitness center. When I first started going, when I was like nine or 10, it was like, you could imagine what the gym looked like yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and I'd go and just like my dad would work out and I'd just mess around. Yeah. We, we'd play basketball for a bit. We'd hit the heavy bag for a bit, but I'm just like a kid messing around. Right. It's clearly not like organized training. Yeah. And then when I got into high school in grade nine, we had like a dungeon gym at the school. Mm -hmm. And the school that I went to wasn't a great school, like as far as the demographic of a lot of people who were there, um, you know, a, a lot of people coming from families with a lot of problems and not a lot of money, which, you know, ends up in a lot of problematic interactions yeah. at school. But I don't know if at that time, and this would have been when I was in grade nine, that would have been like 98, something like that. I can't imagine there was another school in the city that had a gym mm, yeah, <laughs> inside yeah, their yeah. school. So it was one of the ways in which I was lucky. And I had a few buddies and we'd go and work out. And I remember uh, particularly using the bench press rack where it's like the handlebar racking system where it's almost like, the, you know, like a cable system, right? Yeah. Um, and my max, my max uh, ca cable bench press, which is probably like 50% of what an actual like weight would be. There's so much mechanical leverage. Yeah, this. it was 130 pounds. So I could bench press 130 pounds on like, a, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's just like one of those weight stack machines with like a handle. I know what you're talking about. Is it fixed? It's a fixed strain. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so you just lie you just underneath it and then you, you just can. push it. Yeah. Yeah, so the 130 pounds on that is probably like 80 pounds. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't like, I didn't start growing until between grade 11 and grade 12. Mm -hmm. That summer I started to get big, but yeah. I remember in grade nine, um, from grade nine, grade 10, starting into grade 11 i was between like 140 and 150 pounds yeah. i wasn't a big kid at all yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> so that whole time throughout high school played a lot of sports 
went to the gym on occasion, but nothing organized, fairly casual. I'd just mm. go like mess around, didn't know what I was doing, didn't have any, uh, didn't have any real mentors to like teach me what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until uh, my late teens, early 20s that I started to do more organized exercise. Yeah. And then it was like, again, the only thing really had access to was like bodybuilding stuff. Right. Right. Doing your basics, um, like the most, you know, quote unquote, functional movements I would do would be like pull ups and dips. Yeah. Those were in there. I remember doing squats on wicked like, pump with that combo. <laughs> yeah. I remember doing squats on like the Smith machine, stuff like that. Um, so that's when I started to get more regular, more organized. Yeah. Um, and at this time I, I started kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing rugby. I was playing football. I was playing basketball. Um, but more still more like sport driven and, you know, a few days a week I'd get into the gym and just do something. So you had a pretty good movement vocabulary in terms of your sports though, right? You had a lot of For different sure. stuff there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, a, but I remember the way that I used to do movements in like my mid to late teens. Yeah like my body didn't even know how to do them right like a back squat when i was a teenager would look terrible yeah you know to to my eyes today so yeah once i was in like my early 20s um and i started to to take my my fitness a little bit more seriously Mm -hmm. started teaching other people um i was i was coaching teams uh like younger kids in my spare time Mm -hmm. Uh, in the sports that I played, uh, teaching them about like what I knew about fitness. And this is kind of how I got started in this whole thing. I didn't think it was something that I was actually going to do. Right. Um, it's just something that I did because I was a fairly fit person. And if you're working out a few days per week, you're doing a few days a week more than most other people. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I would teach the people what I knew about fitness, which was, you know, not much, but Mm -hmm. to other people might seem like a lot at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I started to be more organized in my own fitness, I started to see what could happen when you actually focused on putting things together, having a routine and being regular, having some s- sense of direction and, uh, and goals that you're setting. <clears throat> and once I started to see that if I put A and B together, I get a result of C mm-hmm. and I could actually get myself stronger faster jumping higher seeing all these things actually happen when i was organizing my my training Mm -hmm. that's when i became obsessed with it i was like oh i can actually i can actually create a direction and an outcome yeah with something that i'm doing and then from there it was just like it became my life because it was the first time it was the first time that i that i that I saw that equation firsthand right. of, oh, I'm in control of producing results if I just do the things I'm supposed to do. It's not just random movement and grind and here we go. Yeah. And yeah. then it just, you know, it became a obsession with me where it's like, I just wanted to learn as much as I could mm-hmm. about how I could increase my own performance. Mm-hmm. And then once I started to, to see that happen within myself, then I started to really be able to help other people with it. Mm-hmm. But then at that time, it was like, plyometrics olympic lifting heavy like just it was five to ten years of just like heavy 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 how much can i do Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. just trying to push things to the limits and then you know over time they i don't think the human body's designed to to take certain amounts of loads especially like spinal loading like spinal shearing that you're going to get if you deadlift heavy enough spinal loading that you're going to get if you back squat heavy enough 
And I don't think it was a consequence of, of getting older. I think it was a consequence of once you start to lift a certain amount of weight, yep. your body just can't handle it anymore. Yeah. And I started to get back pain, started to get neck pain, started to get hip pain, like hip pain that I've had for five years. I was getting ultrasounds for because I had no idea what was going on. I that thought bad, I had eh? like a hernia or something. Oh yeah, bad. Like it's it's still it's still here. Um, and then I just had to make the decision. Like, do you want to? Like, do you want to be? great in the gym or do you want to be great in all the stuff that you want to do outside of the gym yeah and that's when i started to do more like gymnastics i started to move away from the barbell more towards the rings more towards body mate uh body weight stuff um started to follow more people like pavel satsulin uh like gymnastica natural in brazil all these people who uh who were very very performance based who who moved away from those traditional exercises. Now, going back to those injuries, do you think that was a result of the, you know, an issue with your form, like not knowing the form or was it just overload over time? I think it's a combination of everything. Yeah. It, it, it only takes one thing to be wrong or to be too much, right? So I think if your body is perfect, you can still go to a volume and an intensity that's gonna be a problem for your body. Right. But then every little, everyone's going to have movement issues. Mm -hmm. If you have a dominant arm, Mm -hmm. you have movement issues, right? Like no one's perfect. No one's like perfectly symmetrical. Mm -hmm. And eventually those things are going to catch up with you and things are going to have to compensate. And the more load you're putting on top of that compensation, the more, uh, the more danger there is. So uh, for sure, there's like things that you probably even have genetic susceptibilities to injury right certain people have shoulders that just they're never going to move the way that someone else's are so like we know just about like the depth of the hip socket people who have really deep hips are going to have a more difficulty squatting than people who have more shallow sockets Mm -hmm. and you see this when they do class well when they do it with testing like they've done this in eastern europeans in the chinese where there's these huge weightlifting communities where all the top lifters come from, they've shown that genetically in those areas of the world, they have shallow hip sockets, which make deep squatting much easier. That's interesting. Um, I remember uh, Dr. McGill, we brought him in here, uh, the spine expert. We brought him in here to do some education when he was just coming through. I think he was doing a talk at Western or something nice. like that. And Stuart, re- Stuart McGill? Stuart McGill, yeah. And I reached out to him and he ca- and he agreed to come and awesome. like do stuff with all the coaches. Um, and he was he was going through and looking at everyone's movement and doing these different tasks and just saying to, to people like, "You'll never be an Olympic lifter. Stop doing it right now." Oh, wow. Like just by you know the, the way he would feel them and like put his eyes like on biomechanically them. speaking yeah ideal for this movie yeah and that's something he talked about too and, and he's become a little bit of a controversial character now some mm-hmm. people think he's a little bit too too deep into his views and uh maybe he needs to update them a little bit um but i mean that's an aside but yeah i think he you know movement issue like 100 percent. there must have been you know uh, structural issues mm-hmm. with me as well mm-hmm. Um, and if you've, if you've ever played a contact sport, you're going to have <laughs> problems, oh, yeah. right? You're yeah. going to get banged up and you're going to have movement issues, but I don't think you have, I don't think you have to have that. I think anything's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, form issues, structural issues, um, training too much, training too often, under recovering, you know, just too much load, too much intensity for what your, your body can physically handle. Mm-hmm. 
right? Um, any of those things are going to be going to be a problem and it's yeah. going to catch up to you um and just you have to understand like you can't you can't ignore those things and you see it with people in the gym all the time who are like strong high level people it's almost like the greater your ability to perform the greater your chances of consequence with training in the gym yeah. and it's you know it's fairly unnatural to do like super heavy back squats mm. super heavy deadlifting. Like it's not it's not something we're really designed Literally to do. Evolved to bear that much load <laughs> on our back. Yeah, like yeah. you'll never you'll never see that happen in nature. Which isn't to say that there isn't a benefit to it. Right. But once you start to have pretty regular aches and pains and suffering, clearly mm. attached to the exercise that you're doing, I think you got to rethink. Yeah. Rethink what you're doing because there's so many there's so many ways to skin that cat, right? Like totally. You can get strong and fit and perform so many ways. But for me, like, as, especially as a young male, I wanted to squat this. I wanted to course, deadlift yeah. that. I wanted to snatch this for, you know, myself to do better than than I could do as well as do better than the other person yeah. could. Like, but I just, I don't have that. I don't have that ego anymore yeah. for myself or comparing to others either. How important is it as a as a young athlete to be exposed to like proper movement, proper programming? Because like, you know, I, I I'm pretty similar in the approach in that when I was training, I didn't really have a rhyme and reason. I would go in there and squat. I'd go in there and bench. Um, but also, I had a bunch of different sports that I played, so I was exposed <coughs> to a lot of movement vocabulary. So there's, there's a there's a fine balance between. Um, specializing in something if you do want to go ahead like let's say hockey but also having that um, that movement vocabulary and what I mean by that is just different types of movements right not just skating all the time how important is it though to, to learn how to squat properly how to you know deadlift properly as, as a youth and how does that kind of translate to to training long term is that essential well I think this might be uh a controversial perspective on it but you know it depends on what on what the child or what the parent wants from the child's exercise and training right for mm -hmm. me i would say learning proper form at a young age is not important mm -hmm. and the only reason why i'd say that is number one these days you know 30 one third of children are overweight to obese so expose your kid to any form of movement or exercise that's going to give them enough confidence that it's just something that they pick up mm -hmm. right that it's mm -hmm. something they can integrate into their life um like if, if if you can't find someone to properly teach your kid how to squat it's better that you just try and do it than just say well <laughs> i guess we'll have to find something else to do right mm -hmm. of course it's a, of course it's great if if you can find uh, if you can find a way to to teach your children perfect technique mm -hmm. and all these sorts of things, but I think it's more important to just get kids moving, get kids get interested. Yep. And like speaking of from my own experience, like probably my first ten years of exercise, I had no idea what I, what I was doing, right, but right, I was right. doing it yeah. right, and I I learned along the way how to do things properly, which I only managed to do because I did it long enough that I became interested in it. Right. So, you know, my subjective opinion is, yeah, it's great if, if, 
if kids can learn perfect form, but I don't think it's critical, especially when you're a kid and you're not going to be thrown around super heavy weights. Mm. You're incredibly resilient. I'm not really concerned about a kid developing long-term problems from something like that because mm. your body's going to move and compensate and figure changing it out pretty rapidly and if you're too. not under five to seven hundred pounds it's not really going to be a big consequence mm-hmm. so i think you just got to get like if i had a group of kids in here right now and i was taking them through a session mm-hmm. if i'm just like hammering them on technique and which is basically saying you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong do it like this mm-hmm. like it's not fun for the kid. You lose them. Yeah, it's more important that they can just like mess around and figure it out, right? right? And right, kids right. will figure it out. Um, and you can give them little things along the way, but same as an adult. Like the more mm-hmm. the more you give someone information, the more you cue them, the more things you tell them, the less impactful it is. Um, so I think it's just important to get kids involved. Everything mm-hmm. else on top of that is icing on the cake, but just mm-hmm. get them involved and don't worry about you know, little details yeah. of like, does that squat the way it's like your kid's squatting? Great. Start there. Yeah. Unless it's completely horrendous and they're going to hurt. There's themselves. a, yeah, yeah, there's a difference yeah. between yeah. danger, sure, right. Sure, and sure. just like in inefficiency. Yeah. Let your kids be inefficient. Yeah. Um, but don't let them be in danger. Quickly, clearly. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, especially if, you know, we have some, some of the young coaches listening, um, there is, it's important to, to minimize that that risk in, in giving them something to do. Obviously, like, let's start at a basic movement and then almost progress based on competency. Like, you know, if you apply a framework like that, it's going to set them up for success. It's probably going to give them, um, you know, a carrot to, to go for. Um, but it's also going to uh, kind of reduce that risk of injury, right? Well, and when kids are growing and they're developing, like they're awkward, Mm -hmm. they're uncoordinated, their femurs grow too fast and they can't, like they can't, you can't squat, right? Mm -hmm. If your femur bones are a little too long, you can like your center of gravity will just not work out. Kids sit at desks all day long and what do you expect them to like perfectly be able to press overhead? Um, You just gotta like let them move around, Mm -hmm. figure it out. And as they grow, they'll, they'll learn that language on their own. But I don't think, there's too much that a coach can do aside from make sure that when they're learning how to like push overhead, they're using a stick, yeah. right? They're not yeah. trying to do with like kids shouldn't be doing max lifts yeah. or anything even close to yeah. it. Just like give them non-consequential ways to learn the language. And mm-hmm. that's the best that you can do for them. Let's see where they take it. So I see you using a lot of bands, right? Is that to to basically take the load off those big joints that you kind of talked about the squatting and the deadlifting? Yeah, I do a lot of, uh, like this is what I do most of these days. For upper body is rings and bands. Rings and bands. Um, Rings just because I can get a ton of range of motion. Like Mm -hmm. They feel better. Yeah, I I think the biggest problem that people have is being fixed to a bar. Mm Because when you're fixed to a bar, uh, which we call closed chain, or the same like squatting is closed chain, right? With your feet planted to the ground, stuck together. Your cable bench press was closed. <laughs> yeah. There's like when when your when your extremities are fixed. So when your hands are fixed to a bar or your feet are fixed to the floor, mm-hmm. there's no way for your body to compensate. And your body needs to compensate for movement inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. So when I'm on a set of rings, my shoulders are going to figure it out. Right. They're going to move to the path of least resistance, right. which is what's going to lead to the least amount of injuries. Mm-hmm. If instead of doing like uh, like bilateral feet on the floor, traditional squatting, mm-hmm. 
if I just split my feet, if I do more lunges, if I do like anything that opens up my gait, now my hips and knees can can kind of maneuver the way that they need mm-hmm, to to mm-hmm. make movement less consequential. Um, so the you know when it comes to upper body, I'm rings and bands just because uh, the resistance is uh, like I'm open chain, so my my shoulders can move the mm-hmm. way that they need to, mm-hmm. um, rather than trying to force them through a range of motion. Mm-hmm. And there's no the the load is easily controlled, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. when I'm using bands. I always have to stay engaged, right? So it's easier to control yeah. the load. Uh, and lower body, I do like the concept two bike is the best thing I've ever come across for my lower body. Yeah, you said it's almost a, an anaerobic. Yeah, like if you, you if you if you try and stay above a certain wattage, yeah. like it's a leg workout. Um, you can you can well, like you see cyclists. Yeah, like in places like Italy where they're biking uphill 90% of the time. You see the size of those guys' That's legs. That's basically what the concept to yeah. uh, bike is. Yeah. Um, it's a, like, I think it's like riding a, it's like riding um, a mountain bike in, in on the beach right. in the sand. Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's a grind. So that, uh, the K-Box, I love because it's number one um, – when it comes to something like hypertrophy, having that constant like eccentric pull. So maybe explain what the K-Box does because there's a few people that ask me. Um, there's a flywheel attached to it. It uses flywheel yeah. uh, for resistance. Maybe just break that down. Why? What, how, how's that different than a, than a standard dumbbell? Sure. So there's, t- there's two things about the K-Box that are important. Is Number one, there's no spinal loading. Uh, there's no spinal loading. It's like a belt squat. So you you wear a belt or you can wear a harness uh, and it attaches to a cable where the cable pulls you towards the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and since it uses a flywheel, basically when you, when you think of doing the portion of something like a squat where you push up from the ground, the resistance is there. And as you're pulling, it's loading up the flywheel to pull you back down. So once you get to the top of your squat, the cable actually starts to pull you back down to the floor. So like with a traditional squat with a barbell, you're controlling the pace of the lowering, right? There's no real force pulling you down aside from the force of uh, the barbell. And people can like drop right into the bottom Mm. of the squat without any tension whatsoever. Mm -hmm. When you use something like a K-Box, it's actually actively pulling you to the floor. It's like a, a, a 10x gravity. So you have to resist as you go down towards the floor rather than just be able to drop. Um, so the resistance is constant. You know how basically when you're lowering into a squat, there's an element of rest there, mm-hmm. right? And the work is done when you push back up from the bottom. Mm-hmm. When you're on a K-box, the, it's constant tension. You have to work just as hard in the lowering phase as the Does it apply phase. more force eccentrically? I would say it's equal, but equal. It's, it, it seems like more force eccentrically um, just because you're, you have to disengage to lower down. Uh, whereas yeah, yeah, coming yeah. up, you can just push as hard as you can. You can drive. Um, but yeah, the the Concept Two bike, the uh, the K box, um, because I can do tons of volume and intensity with no spinal loading, mm-hmm. um, and then just you know basic gymnastic stuff. Yeah. Um, and then of course like. Do, do you have like um, almost like a routine that you do for gymnastics? Are you, are you working towards something right now? Like I see you doing uh, a couple movements that you posted. Um, there's the one where you kind of you take your feet wide and place your hands. Is there is that kind of a, a progression there? 
not really. I mean, I have exercises I like to do yeah. that I think are doing something for me. Yeah. Just when it comes to those sorts of movements, <clears throat> I want to make sure that every movement I do is helping me get more mobile and strong at the same time. So are you addressing imbalances right now? Like, are you uh, trying? Yeah. 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 It's I think tr always trying to address imbalances is a losing game when there are imbalances that you've that you've created over your entire life of things like just having a dominant side mm -hmm. i'm always going to jump off my left foot right. and throw with my right hand right. that's not going to change and those two things alone are going to create a symmetry in my hips mm -hmm. and in my shoulders and in my ankles right so there's mm -hmm. i think trying to f fix symmetry is a losing game for most people like say someone's you know back squatting and their feet aren't perfectly parallel and you try and make their feet go to a completely parallel spot i mm -hmm. think you're setting that person up for a problem because if someone sets up for a squat and they're a little asymmetric it's probably because that's the safest way for them to squat given whatever their issue is so i don't spend so much time trying to fix stuff as just like i want to i want to get strong but have an element of rehabilitation, of mm -hmm. uh, preventative safety to the exercises I do as well. So mm -hmm. like skin the cats on the rings, doing, mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of uh, like lower body gymnastics based exercise I do. I'm getting stronger, I'm getting more conditioned, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm getting an element of movement and an element of, you know, being proactive in how my body operates. Are you kids in gymnastics? My my little guy is my daughter will start soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, when they're that age, it's like cartwheels. <laughs> yeah, like a cartwheel. <laughs> my kid's not doing cartwheels. No, it's three. You, you, but maybe there's kids out there. He does the cartwheel where like your feet come up a foot off the ground. They and don't they come fall. like overhead. Yeah. Um, I saw a girl in here uh, hop on the rings. She, she came with her mom. And I don't know how old she was, maybe four or five, but she did like the strictest chin up <laughs> I've ever seen. And uh, and then she transitioned, you know, into I think like a skin the cat. And uh, I was like, wow. And then she goes like, OK, you show me your trick now. <laughs> like, I could run a marathon. Can you run a marathon? Yeah. Yeah. My uh, yeah. Like my little guy, we do skin the cats where he just hangs on to my hands and yeah. like oh, twirls yeah. himself over and twirls nice. himself back. Nice. Um, yeah. I think gymnastics is something I'll I'll try and get my kids interested in for as long it's as possible. It's a great possible. base. I think it's the best thing yeah. you can have kids do. Yeah. Um, like look at any like people battle me on this all the time, which is fine. But like to me, gymnasts are the best athletes in the world. Like, if you're a high-level gymnast, you are the apex of, of what a human is capable of mm. doing physically. Mm. Um, people are like, I remember one guy was like a, a long-distance bike rider. Yeah. And he's like, no, <laughs> bike riders. <laughs> bike riders are the best athletes in the world. And I was like, uh, I don't know how you measure athletes, but. Yeah. Well, if you want to look at it from like a difficulty perspective, okay, and bike rider might might nail me on this too but i can get on a bike and i can i can work and i can get a pretty substantial gain in in how good of a bike rider i can be but if you look at gymnastics you look at the amount of movements that a high level gymnast does like i did a introduction to gymnastics class and i was struggling and this is somebody who's i've been training for 
properly probably for now about 12 years now and there were things that i find impossible to do and then you see you know like how many how many people could do an iron cross Nobody. Nobody can do an iron cross, right? Point zero 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 one percent of the population. I don't even know how to how to how to train that without some sort of help, right? So, um, the transfer to that too, like you know, I, I think about if I if anybody starts gymnastics, the amount of control and mobility you get, and then you want to do something like jujitsu, like you're gonna have a tremendous advantage. You want to do something like anything, anything. like you just like, have a resilient, athletic powerful body Mm -hmm. um which can only help you do any other thing Mm -hmm. and i don't think there's any other sport out there Mm -hmm. that provides provides that to that level and Mm -hmm. with that amount of roundness like there's nothing a gymnast is missing it's not like a single plane of motion like a runner would do or something like that you're all over the place yeah i think like if you can get your kid interested in gymnastics uh you're setting them up for for athletic success everywhere Yeah. Yeah. yeah Yeah, my wife did uh, gymnastics as a, when she was younger, and she would tumble, and it, it's incredible because like she hasn't done that for for a long time, but she still maintains a very good kind of body awareness. Like you know, if there's certain things that that she'll do, like we'll kind of we'll mess around with jujitsu. She doesn't train, right? But you know, like there is a certain <clears throat> patterning that she's developed, and and it's just it seems like it's easier for her to pick up you know concepts with jiu-jitsu than than others even if it's weight distribution or pressure or balance these are things that are very hard to teach someone if they've never experienced you know what is being off balance or what is regaining balance or timing what does that mean right yeah so, well th- just think about this like any any kid who's in gymnastics <clears throat> over the age of seven can do a back walkover yeah. right when you just fall backwards put your hands on the ground right. into like a bridge and then walk over yeah. to where you're standing up again yeah. anyone else you try and get to do that yeah. from any sport like people don't like people don't do that. people can't even imagine what's behind them like yeah. what just fall over backwards people yeah. would would break their necks or concuss themselves totally. yeah. where like that that language of movement and that mm-hmm. you know there's a whole there's just whole other dimensions of movement mm-hmm that the average person can't even fathom mm-hmm. that like a gymnast it's like it's to them falling over backwards is no no different than walking forwards mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. just that like language of movement where like you can take your body anywhere and do anything and mm-hmm. it's just like it's just how it happens the one thing I, I i do like is kind of this recent i don't know if it's recent but it seems that you know at least in the in the social media sphere, like the body weight training has really kind of had an emergence in the last five, six years. Yeah. Um, and you see some people doing some incredible things. You know, one thing I've always wanted to try is uh, capoeira, right? Like, you know, if we can get that class going, that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Train I won't be doing any capoeira, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I had something. Let me see here. So as you age, like moving forward, what should kind of priorities be is that is that a, a valid question even to ask like you know i would assume that keeping jarring shearing impact movement to a minimum um would, would probably rank at the top but is there anything else that you kind of want to look at in terms of training for longevity especially as you age yeah so things are going to get you right like if you're if you're doing things that are making your hips sore, making your neck sore, making your shoulder worse, all these sorts of mm-hmm. things, 
Um, as time goes on, those things don't typically get better. Yeah. They actually get worse. So if you're doing any sort of exercise that's causing you those sorts of consistent issues that keep coming up, like I know that if you're 25 and you're listening to this, you're not going to stop. It's not going to make any <laughs> and sense. If, yeah. if, if, if uh, someone like me told my 25 year old self to stop max back squatting, kick rocks, man. Yeah. Say piss off, bud. Yeah. Um, so I don't expect people to listen to that, but maybe if you're getting, you know, your late twenties, your early thirties, and this thing that you're dealing with has come up over and over again, mm -hmm. let alone if you're, you know, 40, 45, 50, mm -hmm. you got to stop doing movements that aggravate those problems. Yeah. So that's number one. And I think most people who aren't athletes or who aren't trying to be athletes or who don't see themselves as athletes in the gym, you just want to wake up and feel good. Yeah. Like wake up, get out of bed, move around. So yeah. I think uh, a few things that, that people need to do when your goal is, I want to be able to do these things and feel good for the rest of my life or as long as I possibly can, just just keep that that movement in your life mm -hmm. and be able to like, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, be strong, feel good, have some muscle, look good. These things are important too. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think things that people should start doing is number one, start and end your day with movement. Start like and end your day with five movement. minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. Um, because typically we wake up, you know, we do our morning stuff and then we sit all day long yeah. and we come home and we sit all day long and then we lie in bed. Um, so putting little bouts of movement into, uh, into parts of your day where you would typically be very sedentary makes that movement exponentially more valuable. Mm -hmm. So whether it's like first thing in the morning, uh, you know, an hour before bed, or if you have the option, if you have a sitting job at work, like even just getting up and walking for 10 minutes every couple hours mm -hmm. or getting up and do like, you get way more out of that, out of those sorts of, uh, activities at those times of the day than you would at another time of the day. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two is I would encourage you to do more exercises where you are not in fixed positions. Um, so using the rings a little bit more for your pushing and pulling and, and shoulder work, mm -hmm. um, it, rather than always trying to like front squat, back squat, doing these sorts of things, like do more like walking lunges, things like right, that. Right. Um, break up, uh, break up those sorts of fixed patterns, and there's less consequence, and you're gonna get everything that you want out of it. Mm -hmm. Like you're gonna get stronger, you're gonna build muscle, uh, you're gonna do all these sorts of things. Um, and then, you know, I would always encourage people to 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 take up some sort of like dynamic sport based activity. Just because, like, working out gets old. Yeah. It does. Like, yeah. you can't, like, you got to have something that you really look forward to doing. Yeah. And you're not, if you look forward to working out right now, that's great. But I think for most people, they look forward to what they get and feel after the workout. Mm -hmm. Not so much, like, the actual workout the itself. itself. Whereas, yeah. like, for me, if it's, like, kickboxing, jujitsu, stuff like that, like, that's the thing I look That's forward fun. to. Yeah. I don't care what I get out of it otherwise. Yeah. It's great that it makes me healthier and makes me stronger and I learn these skills, but it's about the time I spend doing that thing. Right. Like the, right. the, the joy is in the activity and whatever it is, I think you got to find something where it delivers that to you because mm. the day might come where I don't lift weights anymore. I'm just over it or yeah. like I've got three kids and a business and like something's got to give. Yeah my sport is the thing that will always remain because right. like I get, 
I get stuff outside of it, of course, but it's like the time I spend there is where the joy is. And if yeah. you can find something where it makes you healthier and you get that joy, like you can do that forever. Yeah, You're never gonna give that thing up. Yeah. You're gonna be much less likely to give it up where mm. it's easy to not go to the gym anymore. Mm -hmm. It's easy to justify not going to the gym and working out. So like you want, uh, you want that safety net of activity of mm -hmm. something that you really love to mm -hmm. do. And maybe that's like jogging, maybe that's biking. It doesn't have to be like a team sport thing. You can do it on your own terms. Yeah. But you got to have something that uh, that gives you a health return, but you don't do it because of that solely. You, there's got to be joy in it innately. How do you balance um, recovery with you know this kind of age-related? I want to say decline in performance. Like obviously, you know, as you age, you're not going to be able to push as much or run as fast. Yeah. But you don't want that to be kind of like, well, I'm not going to train hard today because I'm x amount of years or whatever right, right. but do, do you do you modify the exercises and then uh also put more emphasis on your recovery activities and if so what does that look like yeah i think the most important thing is that as you get older your your dietary habits have to be better um okay. the, the the margin for error in diet is much much greater with every you know year to five years that passes yeah. and you can get away with much much less yeah um so i think if if you're serious about what you get out of your health as you get older your diet has to get tighter and tighter yeah. and tighter um so that would be the first one and then you still have to try and do something every single day but you have to understand your capacity mm -hmm, right so if mm -hmm. you wake up and like you're groggy and you're tired and you're sore Maybe that's like doing a 60 minute walk when you can fit it right, in. Right, and then right. when you wake up and you feel great and you got tons of energy, do something intense and difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to understand that we get obsessed with what we do on the day rather than the aggregate, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. if I don't work out hard today, I'm gonna be fat tomorrow. Yeah. It's not It's not how it works, but that's how we all feel, yeah. right? Yeah. Where you're probably gonna get more results in the long term by taking it slow sometimes mm -hmm. and not always trying to push yourself. But we even think about like, I need to work out really hard today because of the thing that I'm gonna eat tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and if I don't do that, then I can't eat that thing without feeling guilty about it. Like. We get stuck in those uh, mindsets where like, it's okay to just not work hard on days where y your energy doesn't call for working hard. Yeah. Just do something and in the long run, it's gonna make you feel better. And yeah. I've, you know, I'm giving advice that, that I find difficult to take because I can think of, you know, in recent years, many times where I know I should have slowed down mm -hmm. and I didn't <clears throat> and I got hurt and then I had to take a bunch of time yeah. off where it was actually a consequence. Yeah. Or like I started to feel a little bit run down, looking at my HRV, it says, do not train today. And I just ignore it and train anyways. <laughs> yeah. And then I get sick. Mm -hmm. And then it's like mm -hmm. two to three days of where I'm actually not doing anything and I'm sick. Mm -hmm. So my diet's all messed up. Like try not to be short term in your thinking because your body makes the decisions at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And if it decides that you're overdoing it, it will take extreme measures It'll to shut back. you down. 
and that's when there's consequence. So right. get better at you know slowing down when the when your body and mind are clearly indicating that it's not the day to do the thing that you yeah. want to do, and then you can do it the day after that. Um, right. But it's more important that you you can consistently do something every single day of varying intensity, and you don't put your foot too hard on the gas when clearly you should put it on the brakes because then if you get hurt and you're out for four weeks, that's that's the consequence that you should really be fearing. Not like I can't eat a pizza tonight if I don't work out really hard at the gym today. Yeah. Like go for a walk and eat your pizza. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Yeah. As long as like you start going back to to working hard when you can. Yeah. Like it's all a wash. Yeah. I had a sugar hangover on Sunday. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> for sure it's a thing. I ate like a this is the first. This is another Dion first. Um I had a pretty much like a sidewalk slab size brownie my mom made these brownies she makes them from scratch okay they're good brownies yeah and uh i didn't even eat a lot in like one sitting it was just like this perpetual snack on on saturday every time i'd walk by i'd like take a little piece <laughs> this, is, this is not bad yeah next thing you know half it's gone i woke up on sunday i was dizzy like the room was spinning i thought well, how much did i drink last night probably had hypoglycemia when you <laughs> i don't know out. what happened <laughs> i felt dizzy i felt like my lips were not i'm like what is going on here so uh sugar hangover i learned this weekend is a thing yeah, you should avoid it. Uh, you, you should. If there's one thing you can do for your health, it's you know get rid of uh, get rid of um, any external sugars that are artificially yeah. put into foods. I, I usually keep my diet pretty tight, and I notice I got a big difference the next day, or even in my mood when I kind of fluctuate. Like I do a big drastic change. Like that's how I go out and just go ignorant. Like again, it's not the end of the world, but I, I do notice big difference and i don't like how that feels so i i think based on that i kind of form my decisions to like i know what's going to make me feel good therefore i'm going to do that yeah right like i don't crave that oh man like obviously like that pizza like i love pizza it tastes amazing but i don't like how i feel after yeah so i almost not eat pizza because i'm like i know i'm going to feel like junk and garbage I, I don't like that to the point where i'll probably be like ah oh, maybe i'll just eat a slice as opposed to three yeah, and it's not it's it's okay to have those things around as reminders too, yeah. right? Because you can feel like you're missing out all the time. Yeah, exactly. Especially when it's not really your lifestyle and you're just in transition of trying to make a change of cutting out this right. stuff, eating less of that, and then yeah. you feel like you're always missing out. You're thinking about things, you're craving things, but trying to avoid them. Yeah. Um, and then if you go off the rails and you eat it, rather than look at yourself afterwards and be like you idiot why did you do that yeah. you know th this is why you're in the shape you're in just say like this is what it feels like to eat that food yeah so next time you feel like you're missing out or like you have this intense craving for this thing yeah think about oh what happened last time i ate this thing mm -hmm. oh this is how i felt the next day mm -hmm. and if you can frame it that way then it might make it easier to go i actually don't yeah. want this thing as much as i thought i did yeah. because i don't want the consequences how common is it to, to develop like intolerance like diet intolerances incredibly you, common but as you as you age is this something that you can acquire more early on in life or is this kind of like is this time related at all if or? i had to guess i would guess that as you get older you get more exposure to more environmental toxins to more problems and it just accumulates, right? So not only is your body's resilience slowly degenerating a little bit, but also the things you're accumulating are growing as well. Right, right, and right. then things just start to break down. And as soon as, you know, as soon as there's an issue in in your gut line, and as soon as there's an issue 
in barriers of your digestive tract. As soon as yeah. things start to get through that aren't supposed to get through, everything becomes a problem. Now you got a systemic issue. Yeah, now right. it's like nuts, seeds, dairy, mm. gluten, like everything's gonna be a problem for you. Mm. And you see this with people all the time. And this is another reason why like as you get older, like your diet's gotta tighten up tighten because up. the more exposures you get, like in, in oncology for, for cancer, they call this hits, right? Like. On, on average, this person has a certain amount of hits they can take mm -hmm. before this becomes a mm. problem. So a diet like that's hits. Like there's a certain amount of hits your digestive system can take before it breaks. Oh, and once it breaks, it's a big complex problem where yeah. it's like most people can never go back to eating right. foods that are remotely problematic. Right. And right. so, you know, genetically, some people are going to suffer to a more mm -hmm. extreme than others. Like uh matt <laughs> matt here at the gym we uh we did food intolerance tests and matt's came back literally not not a single reading of any elevation of any uh problematic uh of any problematic foods really yeah literally like good job he's matt. a goat <laughs> like <laughs> you could eat a tin can and you'd be okay uh whereas me i have I have many. So some people, yeah. like some people are, are more susceptible than others. Yeah. But I think over time, you're the more unhealthy stuff you put in your body, mm -hmm. the less resilient you are. And the more you're accumulating yeah. uh, things that are sticking around, the more like, like now, I, not that I want to get off topic, but who even knows what like electromagnetic fields from like all of our mm -hmm. Wi-Fi and mm -hmm. like who knows what these things are actually doing and how it all adds the up. The exhaust from our cars. The, and everything. 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 Your, yeah. The air conditioning in your car. Yeah. Like how does that even work? I can't imagine that's good. Yeah. That your car is self-generating its own air conditioning and blowing it into your face while you're driving. Well, there was a, there was a time when uh, dentists would recommend a certain type of cigarette, right? Dentists recommended. There was a time when <clears throat> um, I can't remember one of the members we were talking about. There's a guy who uh, I can't remember his name now, but he was looking to get the uh, or to chart the Northwest Passage, right? And uh, the provisions that they that they carried were were in lead cans, right? But at the time, it would have been like, hey, this is no problem. We're gonna eat our peas or whatever the heck is in that <laughs> can, right? Yeah. But you know, looking back now, we're thinking those guys are like guys were idiots man lead cans it's I, I do think about that too sometimes like in 50 years or 70 years um are, what are we what is it right now that we're going to look on and be like man these guys really screwed that up like bpb bpc yeah. bpd yeah. anything that you eat like your healthy planet plastic shaker there does it really say healthy planet yeah made of plastic yeah i i think Ironic. all those things are going to be probably not good problematic eh? yeah yeah like even if you're not heating stuff in there, I can't imagine that that the plastics are as stable even in cold states as people yeah. think they are. Yeah, yeah, or in sunlight. Anything to wrap up here? I don't think Cover so. Cover a lot of good bases. Yeah. Why do Brussels sprouts? Why did they get a bad rap? I remember as a kid, Brussels sprouts were like public enemy number one. Ew. Yeah, I guess it's number one. Love it's a, things, it's yeah. a green food. Yeah, and number two, it's super dense as well. So a Brussels hard to die, like hard to chew. A, a, a one inch by one inch Brussels sprout <laughs> takes the amount of like chewing as an entire stalk of broccoli. Yeah. So it's like it's a hyper concentrated green food. So you know, in kids, it's like 
green foods are yucky. Just it's bad. like, well, here's one that will take you an hour to chew. Where does that come from? Why do kids not like green, healthy stuff? I don't know because my kids do. Your kids do. Yeah, yeah and I mean, some, some days they like do, some days they don't, and yeah, you know, there's just some. Some days my kids will only eat meat. Yeah. Some days they'll only eat fruit. Some days they'll only eat vegetables. So do they ask you? They'll be like, "Hey, Dad, just give me some steaks." They are. Uh, they uh, the only they thing they'll ever ask for is fruit. Really? Eh? Yeah. The only thing they'll have, well, I mean, cookies and muffins as well. But like for actual whole foods, the only thing they will ever ask for is fruit. Yeah. Um, But like they'll eat everything, but they just go through cycles. So I don't think there's anything that my kids don't like aside from foods uh, texture wise that are odd to them, Mm. like cooked mushrooms. But my kids aren't really into things like cooked mushrooms. You never take them to the keg, man. No, they got some good cooked mushrooms. No, they do. I I love them. Yeah, um, had them last night. We had steak last night with sautéed mushrooms and onions. Nice. Kids passed on mushrooms. Have you and ever uh, given them an octopus, octopi? Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. Really. William eats it. Do you disguise it or do you just like nope. here it is? He, like Here's a the novelty of him eating an octopus, I think, was part of the fun for him. Really? Yeah. Bit its head right off. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I had like little uh, little like baby octopi. Yeah, Evelyn's too young. Savage. It's too robbery to give to uh, yeah. to a young kid. She's gonna that'll be a choking slingshot that across the room. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No. That's it. That's Thanks it. for listening.